0: So we're in Colossians chapter 3 and really we're 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 talking about and I put part 2 cuz I've taught two lessons on this topic but really we're continuing a section where Paul has given the Colossian church and given us a lot of doctrinal and, and theological foundation in chapters 1 and 2 and then in verse in chapter 3 he really turns it and says okay now let's talk specifically how can you live as a Christian in this world. And so we see in verse 1, therefore, right, the whole point of, of what he's saying is all of this other stuff, if this is true, therefore, this is how you should live. And so we, we talked about the reality of that renewal in all these different aspects. And so we, we've talked about that our, our thinking is renewed, right? We set our minds on things above, not on the things of this earth. Right? That changes how we think about things. Not only how we think about it, but what we think about. Are we filling our minds with things that are, are godly? Are, are things that, that draw our hearts and our minds to the Lord? Or are we filling our minds with the things of this world? The things that will pass away? Uh, Milt went through the section in verses 5-7 through seven where it talks about that we are to be renewed in our sexuality. In our sexual understanding as creatures, we know God created us to, be, uh, or to have a sexual desire and to have it specifically for a husband or a wife. But unfortunately, our sin nature in the course of this world says, no, sexuality can be whatever and however and whoever and whenever you want it to be. And Paul and God say, no, if you're a Christian... You are transformed in even how you use your body. We talked about um, last time our speech, the things we say and even the things we don't say, how we consider others is, is changed, is transformed by that. And, and really, I would say, if, if, if I could, that verse 10 really gets to the heart of the issue. It says that we are are, are in the verse eight, right? We're laying aside the old self with its evil practices, and we have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. And really, that's the new nature, but that is the foundation. If we don't have a new nature, none of this other stuff's going to happen. Right? You can try really hard to have renewed thoughts and renewed sexuality and renewed speech, but if you don't have a renewed nature, then you're never going to do it. All of this flows out of the work that God does in changing us from the inside out. Uh, we talked about briefly last week that, that, that it even changes our identity right? That our nationality, our gender, our status in life, our, our, you know, all of these things, these no longer become the things that are our identity. Our identity is in Christ. And so first and foremost, we should be Christians in whatever realm and whatever sphere of life we're in. And that's what Paul and what the Lord has called us to. So as we, we continue in this passage, we're really looking at the next stage, the next aspect of change that should come in a renewed Christian life. And so we're going to read verses 12-14. through It says, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And so, really, what we have is a a picture of now a Christian's renewed relationships. Um, That's one way to put it, that's what I'm calling it renewed relationships that how we treat each other changes if you're in Christ. And so he's going to talk about how we do that. What does that look like so that we can understand. And and the first thing he says, wait, see this is why I'm getting ahead of myself. My notes. See if I was on the screen. So we're going to get through this together, guys. What we need to understand, and I put this in your notes, the command and the reason. Right, Paul ties these together a lot, which is helpful. I don't know about you, but like my kids um, spent a certain period of their t- of their lives asking after we have told them go do this or don't do that, asking why. You know, I, I'm back in that right, I've got teenagers, and, and they're they're asking questions about can I go do this, can I do that, and we're like no, not right now. And the question, the answer is always. You know, why? Why can't I do that? I've got a car. I've got gas in my car. I want to go do that, right? And so there's, there's that question, why? And so, you know, you think in God's kindness, we could easily have been given a list of imperatives, right? The whole Bible, the whole New Testament could maybe be, you know, 20 or 30 imperatives. You need to do this, and that's it, right? Just do this. Just don't do that. And Paul and the Lord could have just left it at that, and we would all just be kind of going, well, I guess we need to do that. I'm not sure why, right? And so what's neat is Paul in this passage is giving us several times that he gives us a command, and then he gives us the reason for it. Again, not because he has to, but because I think he wants us to understand, think thoughts after the Lord, and so part of that is understanding what the Lord's thinking. So I put some space in there just because I want to give a couple of examples that we've already talked about. But the command is to set your mind on things above. Set your mind on things above. And you go, okay, well, why is that? And Paul says, because you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. He says, hold on, you're no longer the same person. That old you is dead and you are now alive with Christ. And so therefore you need to think about things Above where Christ is. We get down to to, uh, verse 4, it says, or verse 5, it says that we're to consider the members of our earthly body as dead. But then it says, why? Because, verse 4, you will also be revealed with him, with Christ in glory. He says, see that connection? You will also be revealed with him in glory is a factual statement. That is true. Because that is true, therefore, verse 5, consider the members of your earthly body as dead. Right? There's the command, but you have the reason right there with it. In, in, verses, or in verse 9, it says, do not lie to one another. Okay, again, command, clear, we know. There's no question, really, unless we want to start doing, you know, lawyer, lawyer language. What does it mean to say a lie? You know, that kind of thing. Why? Why? Because you've laid aside the old self with its evil practices. He's reminding us of something that is true. He says, this is true of you. Therefore, your actions will change. You have put on the new self. And then in our passage today, Paul's going to give us another one. And again, we probably could pull more out if we really wanted to. But it says, you are to, in the middle of verse 12... Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Why? The beginning of verse 12. You have been chosen of God. Because you have been chosen of God, this is what's true about you. This is the things that change about you. You are to put on this heart of compassion and all of these other things. Paul's connecting that reality that what we are, what we are defined as by God, transforms who we are and how we act in our day-to-day lives. That's the goal. And so he's going to give us some specific commandments on that, but I want you all to see that. Again, this is such a huge, huge topic in the life of a Christian is to understand how do I become more like Christ? Well, part of it is... Do the things that God's calling you to do. It's hard to be more like Christ if you're disobeying God. It's hard to be like Christ if you are not doing the things God has called you to do. And we're, we'll talk about that. But this picture of recognizing too, my behavior should reflect the reality of who I am. My behavior should reflect the reality of who I am. And he says, you are chosen of God, that we as believers have been chosen by God. He has picked us out and selected us so that we would be transformed, so that we would walk like him. And so we need to understand that that reality should change us. And I think that's honestly one of the things I found Even as I've been studying through this passage, even as we've been going through Colossians 3, that setting your mind on things above, a lot of that for me is just reading through and remembering and thinking about and meditating on the reality of who God says I am. That God says He has done this, that this is what He made me, and now I just need to act like that. I need to do the things that God has said are true in my life. So he says in verse 12, he says, those who have been chosen by God. Guys, again, we, this is a topic that in some churches, you probably get me booted off the, the stage. Right? But we know scripturally that God has chosen those that are believers. That it is his choice that saves us. It is not something we do on our own apart from him. And so the, the word there chosen uh, chosen out selected it's 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 chosen out by God for the rendering of special service to Him. It's used throughout the Scripture of, of of the Hebrew race, His people Israel, that He chose. It's it's used of particular Hebrews. He chose David. He chose Samson. He chose you know He chooses those. It's, chosen, it's, it's given to the titles given to the Messiah, that God has chosen the Messiah. OK, He found you. There we go. Sorry. I was, someone trying to find someone find a friend to sit with, and he found someone. That's good. That the Messiah is God's chosen. He chose to use Jesus to accomplish his purpose and his plan, and then he also chooses us as Christians the reality is that doesn't make us all the same right that doesn't mean we are Israel just like it doesn't mean we are the Messiah it means that God has chosen us as the, in the same ways that he has chosen the Hebrew race as a whole as the Hebrew uh, people individuals as the Messiah we are chosen and it is his choosing right we didn't choose God we didn't vote for him in the last election Okay, we would have never voted for him. It was him who chose us. And so Romans 8, 28 and, uh, through, through 33 is, is a long passage. We're just going to read a couple of those verses. But it says, For those whom he, that is God, foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. Okay, so he knew exactly exactly what He wanted to accomplish, and He predestined, He chose some to become conformed to the image of His Son, to become like Christ. And it says in verse 30, those whom He predestined, those whom He chose, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. And ultimately, that great chain of salvation is all about God accomplishing His work, and not about us, on our own, doing anything. Because on our own, we would not have done what God wanted us. Again, this is a topic that that has caused some challenges. People have been struggled or struggled with this, but uh, we don't. Have, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this. But I'm just going to say there's many, 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 many passages that support this. But I'm just going to point out a couple. Okay? In Romans 9, verse 11, he's talking about Jacob and Esau. That God chose Jacob, but He did not choose Esau. And it says, so even though the twins were not yet born, in other words, there, there was nothing that they had done or not done. They had not done anything good or bad so that God's purpose, according to His choice, would stand this is what happened God chose them not because of what they had done but because of his choice in Romans 11 verses 5 through 7 it it talks about that the remnant of Israel the remnant that God has promised will be there even all the way to the end to the parts that Tom's been talking about in Revelation it says in the same way then there has also become come to be at the present time a remnant not according to their own will not according to their own knowledge not according to their own desire but according to God's gracious choice because if it's by grace it's no longer on the basis of works otherwise grace is no longer grace and again he says if it was works then it would be all about works instead it's not it's grace It says that what Israel is seeking, it has not obtained, right? That the nation of Israel is not what God would want them to be. But those who were chosen obtained it and the rest were hardened. And so the reality is, is we are, if you're a believer in Christ, we are chosen by God. Now, I think that Paul brings this up at this point because it will help us or should help us as we consider how to deal with other people if we have a right understanding of how we came to know the Lord. Let's put it this way. If I came to know the Lord because I'm really, really smart, and I've got lots of wisdom and knowledge, and I put it all together, and I figured out the puzzle, and I said, yes, this is true. Well, that puts me in a pretty good position, doesn't it? Look at me go. I figured out stuff that other people can't. Look at me. Look at what I've done. I'm smarter than others. I'm, I'm more spiritual than others. I, I have some special skills and abilities. And guess what? Is that going to change how I think about other people? Yeah. But if I'm looking at it and saying, you know what? This is God and God alone that chose me out of nothingness. Out of the depth of my sin, and He, by His grace, chose me and pulled me to Himself. Boy, if I remember that, and I remember that, that there's nothing special in me, but it's God's grace alone, will that impact how I deal with others? Hopefully. Right? And I think that's what Paul's trying to remind us is don't be boastful. Right? Part of all of these things that he's saying that we're supposed to do has to do with really a right understanding of ourselves. Not thinking of ourselves too highly, but to realize we all, every single one of us in Christ, are chosen by God. And we should all be eternally grateful for that, but we should also be eternally humble about that. It's not that I'm so special, look at me go. It's God is the one who is special. He chose me. He also reminds the, the, the believers and he reminds us that there are two adjectives that describe us that we need to hold ourselves to. Right? He says we're not just chosen uh, by God. He says you're, you're chosen by God, holy and beloved. That, that we are, by God, and His actions are holy and beloved to Him. That should change how we re- interact with each other, right? Not just at, at the humility of "I am chosen by God," which is a good thing to be reminded of. and to know that by God's grace, I am holy and beloved, but guess what? So is every single other person I'm talking to. If I'm talking to someone who is holy and beloved of God, boy, I probably need to treat them like they're holy and beloved of God. Even if I personally might have some, some issues. Even when there's going to be friction, because guess what? We're, we're called holy and beloved. We don't always act holy and beloved, right? I mean, I know it's normally the other guy that's at fault, but sometimes it's, it's us too. But he says that that this is our calling. And again, I'm going to spend time on this because I think it's so important. This is, in my mind, the things we need to be thinking about to think on the things above, is recognizing and remembering who God says we are. In Romans chapter 8.29, we already did this verse, but, but recognize this, that when God said He foreknew us, He predestined us not to get along as well as we could in this life. Right? Not to just see if we could do enough good works to to outweigh our bad works. No, no, no. He called us so that we would be conformed to the image of His Son. That we would be made in the mold of Jesus Christ Himself. That our actions, our attitudes, our relationships would be just like Jesus. That's God's purpose for us that we would be conformed to the image of His Son. Ephesians 1.4 4 says this, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Why? That we would be holy and blameless before Him. He called us to this high calling. He called us to be holy and blameless. When we went through the, the letter to the second Thessalonians, or second Thessalonians We talked about this, but by way of reminder, it says we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning. Again, here's God's election, his choice of you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. He's chosen you to be transformed, to be changed, to be sanctified by the work of the Holy Spirit by the truth that comes from the scripture, right? He's called you, verse 14, it says, for, it was for this he called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are to be transformed. We are to remember that God has called us to be holy. He has set us aside for himself. And I love this. It's not that he just calls us to be holy and now he stares down at us disapprovingly. Like, boy, you have dropped the ball for the 750th million time. When are you going to get your act together, Jordan? Right? I mean, I think that's sometimes easy for us to do with others. But God doesn't do this out of like a, a judge, you know, like he's not looking down, it's waiting for us to fail so he can point it out. It says we're not just holy, but we're beloved. It means we are loved by God, okay? We're not lovely people, okay? As Christians, or as uh, unbelievers, we absolutely were not lovely people. But even as Christians, let's be honest, we're not always lovely. Maybe here, right, on Sunday morning in between the 9.30 to 11.30, 12.30 time frame, we're pretty good. We can put on a nice facade. But boy, ask our kids about what happens when dad's tired. And ask our spouse about what happens when we don't want to do the chores that need to be done for the day. And ask our boss what happens when we don't like the assignment we're given. Right? We are not lovely on our own, but God loves us. He loves His people. Jeremiah 31.3 And it says, The Lord appeared to him from afar, and he says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. That's a love that's not going to go away. It's it's not going to end. And it says, therefore, I have drawn you with loving kindness. I mean, think about this picture as God not only loves, but He acts on that love. In Ezekiel, there's this, this, again, somewhat graphic but beautiful picture of, of God's love for the nation of Israel and he says basically he, he uh, likens it to to like a baby that's been abandoned by the road like a brand new baby that just was born and still covered in goop and grossness right it, we wouldn't normally see that in our society but it says God says then I passed by you and I saw you and behold you were in the, or This is later on. You were the time for love, so I spread my skirt over you. I covered your nakedness. I swore to you, and I entered into a covenant with you so that you became mine. He says I, I, he chose you as his baby, and then, then when it was the right time, I, I called you into a covenant with myself. I, I took on this relationship, and you became mine. In Romans chapter 1, verse 7, it, it, Paul uses this term. He says, to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints. Paul understood that, that God still considers believers as beloved or beloved. And I mentioned a moment ago, but guys, God's love is never in a vacuum. He doesn't say, I love you. Now do something. He says, I love you. I'm going to show you how I love you. I'm going to show you I love you. And God's love for His people, people is always a redeeming love. It is a love that acts. Ephesians 2, uh, we, we know the, the beginning, right? We were dead in our sins and our transgressions and that we were walking in the course of this world. And, and by nature, we were children of wrath. But here it says in, in chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, but God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. God's love is not just love. It's a love that actually acts it reaches out to redeem. Second Timothy 1.9 says that, that God has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, because again, we don't have any works that we could point to and say, save me because of this, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. This is God's work that reaches out and says, I'm going to take those I love and draw them to Myself. Titus 3, 4-6 through 6 says it this way, But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing A renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Guys, God's love for his people, which if you're a Christian, you're his people, right? We're his people, is a redeeming love. It is a love that redeems and then the final point I want to make on this is that God's love for His people is given as an example to us. Okay, there's multiple places we can go. We're going to talk about some of these things in a future section. But 1 John 4.19 is very clear. We love because He first loved us. Right? We're able to love because He loved us. But we continue to love, we continue to grow in our understanding and in our acts of love as we recognize and understand His love for us. So we have the, the, the reality that if we're going to be renewed in our relationships, the first thing is we have to recognize who we are with, with God. Right? Our relationships with others flows out of our relationship with God. If you are not chosen of God, if you are not holy and beloved, guess what? The next couple of verses, you're going to fail at miserably. And you're going to keep failing at miserably because you haven't been transformed from the inside out. These things, you can try really hard. Trust me, as a parent, there are times that I'm trying by my own desires to be really patient with my kids. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work. We can try to put all of these things on, but if it doesn't start first and foremost by an understanding of who we are in Christ, we will fail. These are not just little ornaments to add to our you know, appearance you know, Tom told an illustration a long time ago, and it just stuck with me. I, I love this. And he talks about, you know, trying to grow apples. And he tried to grow, he planted an apple tree and tried to grow apples, and every year came out with these just tiny little shriveled up nasty things that weren't good for anything other than maybe throwing to the, the animals, right? No one's going to eat them. And so he's finally got it wonderful idea. I know what I'll do. And he went down to Central Market, bought this huge bag of apples and got a staple gun and stapled the apples to the tree branches. It looks beautiful. Look at this, all of these apples up on my tree branches. Is that really what God wants from us? No. In fact, do those apples last real long that way? No, they shrivel up and they die because they're not in the tree. They're not growing out of the tree. Guys, we cannot think of these things because it's so easy sometimes to jump straight to, okay, I've got to be forgiving. I know that this person's really bothering me. I'm going to forgive them. Just forgive. You know, and you're just trying to forgive. I know. I need, I need to be gentle here and not scream at this person that I want so badly to scream at. And you can't just be Gentle. No, it comes out of an understanding of who we are, a recognition of the transformation God has made in us and leaning into that that makes us be able to be like Him. So Paul sets up this foundation. We're to be putting on all these things and we're going to get to those those put-ons, but understand, first of all, we have to know who we are in Christ we have to know that the foundation of renewed relationships is, is the fact that we're chosen by God. That we are God's people. That He has called us. That we are holy and beloved to Him. Not because of anything that starts with us. So as we move into the next section, he, he starts with, and, and again, we're, if we have time, we'll see if we get there. These lists in in, in Colossians 3 there's kind of three long lists of attributes right a couple of them are negative one of them's positive but there's these lists and each time that these lists are 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 created you have this picture that that I would love to spend some time on but we'll see if we get there of each of these things start with the heart it starts with the inside and then it works its way out And so the the, the internal attitudes, the way we treat others has to start in our heart. Again, we can't start with, I'm just going to be kind today. Today's the day. I'm not going to say anything harsh or mean to anybody. Good luck with that. Okay? Give me a call at the end of the day and tell me how it went, because I almost guarantee you it won't go well. If you're just saying, I'm going to do really hard, I'm going to do it on my own today. Right? We talked last week, for those that were here, and I, I said this statement, and I, I don't do a lot of fill in the blanks on my thing, but I did this because I wanted to see, could you remember? Right? So I'm going to really hope that at least one of you will remember that we talked about last week, the process of big, biblical change is always blank and not just blank. And I can see the crickets. Okay. It's always <laughs> Additive and not just subtractive. Now, I'm going to flip it around over you. The process of biblical change is always subtractive and not just additive. Right? You can't have one without the other. Right? You can't just say, okay, I'm just going to stop sinning. Okay, I'm not going to sin. 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 Again, good luck with that. You're not just going to say, I'm going to do good, I'm going to do good, I'm going to do good, I'm going to do good. You'll never do it. It's that you say, okay, Lord, I'm going to put off these things that I know are still in my human nature, my sin nature, and I'm going to just seek you, and I'm going to desire to put on the things that you have called me to do. And as I keep doing both of those things simultaneously, still not 100% success, but you get better. Right? You get better at it. And so when we talk about biblical change, it's always both additive and subtractive. We can't just do one of those and say, okay, I got this. Just stop this. Oh, okay. I got this. No, I just got to do this. No, you, you got this if you're putting off and putting on, right? By the Lord's power, that's the method He's given us to do. But He's going to say here that, that these are some things that we need to put on Right? We already talked about the things, first of all, in verse 5, that these things we're to consider as dead. That's a pretty extreme case of put off, right? It, it's dead. In, in verse 8, it says, put these things aside. Again, put them off. And now he's going to say, now put on these things. And again, this is the process of biblical change. This is what happens over and over again. That God says that we are to put on the new self. We're to put on what God has called us to be. And we talked about that last week. That, that th- what we do is not just stopping sinning. We, we should stop sinning, right? We should not just say, oh, well, I'm going to sin. Might as well sin. But we should not just say, I'm going to stop sinning. But always say, I need to put on these things that God has called me to do. In Ephesians 4.24, it says, put on the new self which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. We're to live out what God has called us already. Right? We're holy and beloved. Part of our lives is actually acting like that. Actually putting on those things, those behaviors that would be called holy and beloved. And so he says, first we're to put on a heart of compassion. Right? A heart of compassion some of you know, if you, if you like Greek at all, you, you probably know this word. If you don't, this is like one of like two Greek words I know, maybe three. Okay, but it's a good one just because it sounds fun, right? It's the splognok. Okay, this is the bowels is literally what it means. the bowels of mercy. And, and in, in Jewish thought, the, the emotions, the, the way we think about others wasn't the heart. Oh, the heart right it was the bowels and if you've had those churning feelings when this person bothers you right when you're tempted to not be kind and you're like in the whole you're just tightened up right that's you kind of understand why they would say the bowels but this is the bowels we are to have from the insides from the depths of who we are we are to have a heart of compassion All right this is this is god's, god's Action. This is what he does. In in Jeremiah 30, verse 20, or 31, verse 20, it says, He's talking about his people, and he says, indeed, as often as I have spoken against them, I certainly still remember him. God doesn't forget about us. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. That's the same thing. I have this. From the very depth of who I am, I yearn for my my people and I will surely have mercy on him. Paul had this attitude and in Philippians chapter one, verse eight, it says, for God is my witness. He's saying, look, if you want to double check this, but God's going to fact check me on this. I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus, right? It's not just a surface thing. Oh, it's good to see you. But it's like desire you, I desire to see you grow and to change. I, I desire to see your spiritual life. And in fact, that's what he gets to in chapter two, right? Chapter two verses one through four. He says, "Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, and this, these are these ifs that are kind of false ifs, right? They're, they're really sense, since there is encouragement in Christ, since there is consolation in love, since there is fellowship of the Spirit, since there's affection and compassion, Paul says, if we know these things are true, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Right? Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility. Right? We get into all that. Again, it all starts with, rooted in, understanding the love that God has for us and the love that God wants us to have for others. And Paul says, that's true. If there's consolation in love, and there always is, love each other. Treat each other that way. Practically, First John 3.17 says, it, and whoever has the world's good and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Right? Practically, there, we could help out those. If we have the ability to help them out, help them out. That's, that's what God's called us to do. It, it's, a, it's a love that acts. It's not a love that just says, oh, I have a feeling towards that person. It's that that love acts. He says it's, it's a heart of compassion, right? So from the very core of who we are, we have love. And it's this the same word that, that really is... is translated kindness and compassion are very 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 similar but what i love as i was studying is that this is the same word that jesus uses to describe his yoke when he says my yoke is easy think about that my yoke is compassionate my yoke or the the, the things that i place on the lives of my believers even these commands that we might feel oh, so struggling against this. I'm not doing this well. I feel this burden. And Jesus says, no, my burden is light. It's compassionate, right? And part of the reason is because He's there beside us to help us. He doesn't place this on us. He doesn't say, okay, these are all the standards. Good luck. But no, He's right there with us. In fact, in Romans 2, 4, it says it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance Right, That God could, could easily have left us in our sin. And yet, because He's kind, He's compassionate, He has drawn us to Himself. He's led us to repentance. We're probably not going to go through all of these verses. But I want to talk about the reality or I want to see the, the reality of what it says about the change that comes from a renewed heart. 1 Peter 3, 8-11, through it says, to sum up, all of you are to be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. Okay, again, there's, there's a lot of things we're to put on there. These are the things we're to do. We're to act like this. And then Peter says, Not, and these are the things we're putting off, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. The one who desires life to love and to see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace And pursue it. Guys, our kindness, this heart should show us that we have changed how we treat each other. It says we're to put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility. Now i got to tell you, I don't watch a lot of reality TV because, you know, that's probably not a great thing to do. But I've imagined a couple of times what it would be like to have someone really follow me around 24-7 and show that, you know, on these screens in here, right? Instead of Sunday, Sunday lesson this morning, we're going to watch Jordan's life for the last seven days. Ooh, You want to talk about humbling? right, when I think through the ways I still struggle, I think when Paul brings this humility, if we're not treating each other with humility, it's because we've gotten everything out of whack, right? I think it starts with that, that, that reality that it is God's work first and foremost that even brought us into Christ, that we are chosen of God. That gives us a humility that we should keep for the rest of our lives because we have nothing to offer God on our own. It is only because of His kindness to us. That's why I think in uh, the the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. Right? What is the first thing Jesus says? Blessed are the meek. Right? Blessed are those that realize I got nothing. You know, I'm, i the, the term Paul or Tom always uses. I'm spiritually bankrupt. I have no assets to my name. I have nothing but debt on my account. When we continue to live our lives that way, not like sniveling, like, oh, God, it's going to come get me. No, but recognizing that it is only God that has made these changes in our lives. Well, then When we recognize our place and our situation with God, then our relationships, how we treat each other is changed. Again, if I think I've got it all together, and look at me go, then I'm going to have a hard time treating you with humility. Right? Fortunately for me, hopefully fortunately for y'all, I know I don't have it all together. Right? The downside is you get me. Right? The, the good side is at least I'm not thinking I'm full. I've got it all figured out. But Paul is is teaching us that we have to be humble. Right? This heart is it, you know, these again, you can make a case that all of these things are together and linked together and can't be separated. And you can make a case that all these things are separate and you, you work through each of those, right? I'm, I'm going to go with, we have to have a heart of all of these things, right? That gentleness, gentleness is the meekness, right? It's that not the idea of weakness, which is sometimes people think, oh, it rhymes. So it must be the same thing. No, it's not that meekness is 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 an ability to have power under control right Jesus had meekness because he could have at any moment right he says okay if I wanted to guys like if you want to flex I could call down a legion of angels and they could just wipe all of you out in like half a second yeah 12 thank you thank you right But Jesus says, I I have all of this power. He even had the ability to know what was in people's minds, but he didn't seem to always use it. He didn't seem to to point it out all the time, but there were times he did, right? But Jesus had this power under control and he treated people with gentleness. You know, I read through the, the, the Gospels over and over again, and I'm just struck by how gentle Jesus is with those that, that come to him that aren't full of themselves, <laughs> that don't think they've got it all figured out, he's gentle to them. Th- those that think they've got it all figured out, those that are convinced their way is the right way and Jesus is off target, boy, he, he's pretty clear with them, right? But those that are coming with a gentle spirit, or those that are coming with a humble spirit, he, he gives gentleness to. And guys, we need to be gentle. We, we need to remember, first of all, that the person I'm talking to, the person I'm relating to, the, the challenging relationships in my lives, that if that person's a Christian, they are just as much chosen by God, holy and beloved by God as I am. And that if they're not a Christian, well, they need the Lord first and foremost, right? That's the biggest thing, but, but I can be gentle because I can see myself in their struggles. Right? If I can see that they're just doing some of the same things. Maybe I used to struggle with five minutes ago, or five years ago, or five decades ago, but it's, it's I can be gentle because they're just like me. They're called by God, and they're struggling to make it the way God has called them to do it. But they were gentle and patient. And again, boy, patience. I was struck by, again, as I, as I studied and I, and I considered this word, there's so many times, so many more times that the word patient is used of God for us than it's ever used us for each other. We should remember that it is God that is so patient with us. So patient with us so that we have nothing to boast in because we struggle, all of us. And that should make us more patient with each other. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, Peter makes a, an, a, I think an important point about growth in these areas. And again, I want you to know, I don't think I've arrived yet. In fact, I know I haven't. The good thing is, I don't think any of y'all have either. Okay? We're all on this growth of Practical sanctification becoming more and more like what God has called us to be. But in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, he says, he, he says these are some things we can do, right? These are things that are, we try to grow in. It says, now, this, for this very reason, applying all diligence. Understand, we're never to just say, eh, I'm not going to be patient. Oh, well, no, apply all diligence in these areas. In your faith, supply moral excellence. In your moral excellence, knowledge. In your knowledge, self-control. In your self-control, perseverance. In your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. Now again, that's a lot of things, and we could unpack that for days. But here's the kicker. In verse 8, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? If you can't look at your life and see this, you've got to start looking at it and saying, what's going on here? Right? And, and again, I, I would say these, these overlaps. But the reality is our lives should be, maybe it's small, maybe it's, it's subtle, maybe it doesn't, you know, radical change. But can you look back and say from the beginning of 2023 to now, do I see myself growing in Christ-likeness? Do I see changes in, in, in humility and gentleness and patience? Am I doing better at putting off those sin struggles than I was? And am I doing better at putting on the righteousness that God has called me to? You know, if I look back, maybe you go, it's well, only been like 10 months. Come on, Jordan. Okay, let's look back five years from now, or five years ago, ten years ago, however long you've been a believer. Can you see, okay, the Lord is changing me. By His grace, I am growing, and I'm continuing to pursue the course that God has called me to. If that's true, then God is using you. You're not useless. You're not unfruitful. But if you are, if you look back and say, I don't know that I see any change at all, I'd ask you to really evaluate that. Because these things that are true of Christians. You will change and grow over time. One of the, the commentators I, I studied um, uh, likened these, these different adjectives, right? Gentleness and compassion and humility and patience and all those things as as Clothes in a wardrobe, right? And that's a good picture. But this is what he said about it. One other fact about this wardrobe. All of these garments can be worn only in community with others, in relationships. How tempting to think that these garments would be so much easier to wear if we did not have to wear them among people. How much easier to think about compassion than to do it. How much easier to be kind when we're away from mean people? It would be far easier to put on humility and meekness if we were not being jostled by the proud and assertive. How much easier patience is in isolation. But that is not the way it works. (laughs) Christians become better Christians in community, in their families, among their associates, in their dorms, in their churches, where there is sweat and breath. The truth is, the very things we may think are keeping us from putting on these garments are the things that make possible their wearing. We need to recognize, guys, that, that we're here to help each other, right? And you might refine me in a different way than I might want to be refined, not by any one of you specifically. Right. But the reality is, is we can talk about these things and we can say, yeah, let's be patient until it's time to leave for church and your kids don't have shoes on. And you go, what are you doing? We told you five minutes ago to get your shoes on. Right? That's how the Lord works. Let's recognize that that's part of the role that others play in our lives. And here's a Pro tip for you. You're working on someone else for them. Right? Your behavior, your failure to follow Christ and, and obey Him is, is refining someone else at the same time. So Paul says we got to put on this heart, right? Inside we have to have this and we have to, to bear with each other. and We have to forgive each other. Right? That we can't just... can't just think about it we can't just say oh yeah 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 those are good but we actually have to do it right just like God's love is not just a God, a love that says I love you it's a love that says and I'm going to call you and I'm going to redeem you and I'm going to make you my own I'm going to commit, have a covenant with you when we say we are going to live with others it means we actually do those things Right? So bearing with, with one another, that's, that's a combination of gentleness and patience and humility and kindness and compassion. Right? It's really hard to bear with one another if you don't have those hard attitudes. In fact, I would go so far to say you're going to struggle mightily to bear with one another if you don't have these hard attitudes that are in verse 12. Right? Forgiving each other? Please. It's so easy to hold a grudge Say, oh, that person did that. That person said that. That person did this. No. If we live our lives according to what God has called us to, we will forgive each other. And I've got a long way to go before we're done. And I don't have a lot of time. So let me walk through this quickly. The external example of renewed relationships, we've, we've seen the foundation, right? The reality of who we are, that God says we are His chosen, His holy, His beloved, transforms how we treat each other. We, we've seen that the internal attitudes, our heart has to be transformed. And, it, it, and then we see that there is an example. right? The, the example Paul gives us at the end of verse 13. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Again, guys, it was overwhelming in my study as I studied each of these attributes, each of these these, uh, uh, attitudes. God overwhelmingly is the one who demonstrates this. It's God who has demonstrated to us what we need to do. And, And if we can remember just how much God forgave us, We'll be able to forgive anything any one of y'all could throw at us, right? That's what Jesus says in Matthew 18. Turn there real quickly with me. Matthew 18 and starting in verse 24, turn to 21, right? Peter, the every man struggles the same ways that we do. And sometimes as Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Boy, Peter thought he was being super gracious. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. So again, Jesus wasn't teaching math. (laughs) He was just saying, like, you're not going to be able to keep track of it because unless you want to get a tally sheet out and say, okay, I forgave you, 489, 490. okay, I'm done forgiving you. No, that's not the issue. Since for this reason the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who wished to settle accounts with his slaves, and when he had begun to settle them, one owed him ten thousand talents and was brought to him, and he didn't have the means to repay, and his lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had to re- to repayment be made, and the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, "Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything." Now. Cliff's notes version, okay, the amount he owed would have taken lifetimes, multiple lives to pay back. He could not have ever paid it back. In verse 27, and the Lord of the slave felt compassion and released him and forgave the debt. But when the slave went out and found out, found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, which is a much, much smaller amount, very, very small. He seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. So this fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. But the first slave was unwilling and went and threw him into prison until he should pay back what he's owed. When his fellow slaves saw what happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. And then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? Guys, practically, remember what God has forgiven you. Remember who you were, even who you were this morning getting ready for church. Who you were on the road the other day when that guy cut you off. Who you were when your kids did this or that. Or your boss did this or that. Remember that and recognize that God has forgiven you. And you should forgive others. We are to forgive each other. Jesus is that example. God is that example. Again, we could go on and on. But the last thing is the perfect priority of renewed relationships. Guys, it all starts with this. Love. Verse 14, beyond all these things, so all the things that Paul has just listed out, beyond all of these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And and ultimately, guys, if we live a life of Christ-like love, we will be unified. Doesn't mean it's all going to be perfect. Doesn't mean we're not going to have struggles and not have challenges. But we are to be putting on love. In Colossians 2.2, 2, it says that we're, we're knit together in love. God, Jesus commanded us to love one another just as He loved us. So even there, love just like I have, so there's no excuse to give up on it. In fact, Paul says in Romans 13.8, that he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. There are so many passages we could go into. So many things, that's why I put quite a bit in the notes, Knowing knowing, anticipating that we wouldn't be able to get through all of this. But a couple of questions to consider. And again, they're not going to ask these or answer these right now, but I'd ask you to to think about them this week. How does God's view of me as holy and beloved impact my view of my relationships with those the Lord has placed in my life? Have I sought a heart full of grace, of the graces listed in verse 12? Lord, Search my heart. Are those the things that I desire? Am I practicing the one another's listed in verse 13? Have I set my eyes on Jesus, the perfect example of forgiveness? Do I have love in my heart for others? By the Lord's grace, He's continuing to grow us, to change us, to make us more like Him. And He's using each other sometimes as those tools. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You so much for Your Word. So much here. Lord, I pray that, that what came out was, was helpful, even though I know it wasn't perfect. Lord, help me to become more like You. Help me to set my mind on things above and not on the things of this earth. And Lord, help each of us in this room to pursue You above all. And then may that change who we are and how we treat each other. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.